0: Welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, I want to jump into the message I have for you today. I want to talk, I've been talking to you. We took a little break last week on Mother's Day. I hope every mother had a great celebration. I know we had a good time, went up to the peaks and hung out, took some pictures. It was a lot of fun. We love our moms. Uh, But I want to get back to the series I was teaching before that. It's a series entitled Family Values. And really what we're talking about is, you know, over the last, I've mentioned everybody over the last six, eight months, the Lord's been dealing with me about um, really the values we embrace as a church. Uh, as, as individuals, first of all, in our own personal lives, but also as a church. When we come together collectively, we should all embrace these values because these values really will drive our behavior as a group of believers. Uh, they will foster our vision and, and foster the meeting friends and worshiping God and hearing the word. and be, It'll foster all of that. And those values are really simple. We said that you know, our values are, we, uh, we are basically that we love God with all of our hearts, that we value others, and that we use our gifts to serve. If we embrace those values as as a core of my DNA, this is who I am, I love God, I value people and I serve. If that's our mindset, then we will be the church that God has called us to be. It's just that simple. And so we're using 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 as our foundational text for this series. We'll read that, then let's pray together, and then let's just believe God for what he has for you this morning. How many of you, how many of you came with... I uh, no, won't we'll put it this way. Let's make it less personal. How many of you realize that people came in here with specific needs in their life, right? So we can teach on family values, but the Holy Spirit can take what we're teaching on and just sort of weave a little message right into your heart to touch your need if necessary. And so let's believe God for that to take place today. Amen. First Peter chapter two and verse five says, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray before we get started. Father, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much for the privilege and the opportunity we've had to worship you and to enter into your presence and experience your presence. I thank you for the joy and fellowship that we've had with each other and shaking hands, hugging necks, and sharing life. And I thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship you. But I just ask you now that you would continue to inhabit our midst, be be strong in our midst, Father, and help us hear from your word who it is you've called us to be so that we can say today, I am better. I've taken a step forward in my relationship with Jesus because I came to church today. I thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we said, you know, um, and, and as this verse says, it says that we are being built as a group of believers into a spiritual house. Peter wrote that and he said, you know, that there is a, 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 an edifice that God is working on, right? And one of the things we said early on was that, you know, when a person is working on a house, especially if they're custom building that house, they put into that house the things that they want to be there that will make them comfortable. And so we've said that the quality of what's in a house will determine who the inhabitant of that house is, right? I mean, when you picked your house out, you picked one that, you know, um, that you hopefully had everything you wanted, and if you haven't gotten there yet, then you're believing God, right, for that house or that habitation. Well, the same thing is true with God. He's working on us individually and collectively as believers to build into us the things in that house that make it most conducive for him to manifest his presence. You know, we pointed out there's a difference in the presence of God and the manifested presence of God. The presence of God, you know, the Bible says if two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. Well, I've been in a group of believers before, but I didn't sense the presence of Jesus. Not in a bad way, but I just wasn't tangible, right? And so, and so but he was there because he said we're gathered in his name. But actually, the manifested presence of God is when you recognize his presence, right? I mean, you know, I could point out anybody in this room right now, right? I could point at Bill, right? You may not have noticed Bill. Now, he's tall. You may have, right? But you may not have noticed Bill this morning, right? But now that I've pointed him out, his presence is manifest to us, right? Everybody knows Bill made it to church this morning, right? Same thing when it comes to the presence of God. There are times when we come in here and we may be worshiping, but there are other times where he inhabits, truly manifests his presence. And the reason I bring that up is because, you know, I believe God wants us to embrace these values. You know, he spoke these to me in an instant, probably back just before the first of the year, that we love God, that we value others and we use our gifts to serve. You know, he spoke those to me and I prayed over those and Lord, what are you trying to say? And I really felt like what he was saying is these are, this is our DNA as a church. When people look at us, they should say, man, there are, there's a group of people that love Jesus, man. They love him with all their heart. There's a group of people that value others and there's a group of people, I mean, they get after it. They are using their gifts to serve God. And so those are the the values that we should embrace as a group of believers. And so we, we tackled that first one in our first couple sets of messages. We talked about loving God with all of our hearts. A little bit of review since we took a week off. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37 says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So not only is it our first value as a church, it's the first commandment for us as believers that we should love God with everything that is in us, right? What does that mean? We pointed out that that means he is always on our mind. If you really love Jesus, you're always thinking about him. You know what that means? It's going to affect the way you act. It's going to affect the way you live. It's going to affect what you listen to. It's going to affect the decisions you make. If you don't really love him, then he's not always on your mind. You may love him a little bit, But we want to be a group of people that love him with all of our hearts. Now, here's the deal. We pointed this out. To love him with all your heart is not something that he's asking for from us to grit our teeth and love him even though we don't want to. But that only comes, that kind of love and passion for him only comes when we allow him to first love us. See, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9 says, We love him because he first loved us. Us. It's only when we surrender. See, the problem many times why people don't love Jesus as much as they, they probably could love him is because they haven't surrendered yet. When you're head over heels in love with somebody, you've surrendered your life to them. You've given them your heart. There's nothing holding back. There's no walls. No. You're like, I, I, I'm giving myself to your love. Right? We have to come to the place where we open up our hearts. We put down our inhibitions. We put down our reservations. We put down our fears. And we say, Jesus, you have all of me. I receive the fullness of your love. And when you receive the fullness of his love, man, I got to tell you, you get head over heels in love with Jesus. You think about him all the time. You talk about him all the time. He affects all, all that you do. And so, and so we talked about loving God with all of our hearts. And then we talked about this, that if you don't allow him to love you with all of your heart and you don't love him with all of your heart, you're going to have a real hard time loving anybody else with all your heart, Right? You can love others adequately. This is real important. You'll never love anybody adequately until you learn to allow Jesus to love you fully. You'll struggle in relationships in all sorts of ways because you'll never have the purest example of real love. Real love ain't found in a person, real love is found in Jesus. He's a person, but not in a human being. It's found in Jesus, the God of the universe. And so we pointed out that if we want to love others and embrace that second value we're talking about of really valuing others, we got to have that first one established. But once we get that first one established, then we need to value others. That's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. That word value means to esteem or to lift up. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 and 10 says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Now I've got to tell you, If Paul had to write that to the Roman church and remind them to not pretend to love, but to really love, then we need to take heart to that because there's a capacity in us to pretend to love. Oh, I love you, brother. Bless you, brother. I love you. But do you really love them? Right? Do you really love others? Love each other with genuine affection. And notice this. This is how you do it. Take delight in honoring them. So we pointed out two weeks ago, and I want to just, just lay this out to set up the rest of today's message. That word honor means to esteem. When you esteem something, you lift it up. You elevate it, right? If you esteem something. So when, when the Bible talks about, and we talk about our culture being a culture of valuing others, that means that every single person that is in this place, if you call this your church home, and I, I believe this applies to you if you just call yourself Christian, Right? You need to lift people up when you engage with them. And I'm not talking about being positive words. I'm talking about in the way you perceive them. See, because what happens a lot of times with believers is they rank people. Some walk in the room and they look at them by the way they look and say, oh, that one's, you know, somebody I would want to know. Oh, that one's not one I want to know. Oh, that one's really weird. Right? I fall into the weird category. But we rank people that way, right? And because we see them as weird or different, what do we do? We don't esteem them. We demote them in our attention and our care for them. But the reality is the Bible, I'm getting ahead of myself, but the Bible says it's the lesser parts we need to esteem more. Right? Somebody you might diminish is the one you really need to lift up. So when we talk about esteeming and valuing and honoring others, what we're talking about is, is lifting them up to a place, elevating them to a place of dignity. Right. So that when anybody walks in here and they say something to us, they get our attention. So you may have passed a lot of and, you know, there's a lot of people here. You can't, you know, you can't actively engage with every single person here unless we stayed all day. And that's fine. We can do that if you want to. We'll leave the doors open for you. But the reality is, is that everybody, you know, sometimes we just pass people and don't stop. And, and, and you know, I used this phrase two weeks ago. We don't we don't we, we see them, but we don't see them. I'm asking you again this morning, and I would ask you this question before you walk into the Lord's Church. Ask yourself this question every week. Will I take the time to really see people? Or will I just see them? Will I look at them? Will I esteem them? Will I lift them up? Because I've got to tell you something, that's the way God looks at us. He cares about us. You matter to Him. And as a group of people, we need to have that same mindset that people matter. Every single person in this room, whether you're ugly, whether you're fat, whether you're good-looking or skinny right? Whether you're weird or you're normal, you're valuable, and I'm going to esteem you. Amen? Notice I didn't point anybody out in those categories other than myself. Secondly, when we value others, we said this, not only do we lift them up and value them, but because we value them, we said last week, we're emotionally connected to them. When you really value something, you're emotionally connected to it. And I use the illustration of a cell phone because a cell phone's impersonal, but how, or a mobile phone. Or, but how many of you, if you lost your mobile phone, you'd be emotionally distraught? Every one of us would be, maybe. If You may be the one in a million that could care less, and that's great, man. <laughs> but you know what? We're connected to this thing. We're emotionally connected to it. When we can't find it, oh, I gotta, I gotta find my phone, gotta find my phone, gotta find my phone. Where's my phone, where's my phone, where's my phone? Does anybody know where my, who took my phone? Right? We're emotionally connected to it. Well, that's just a thing. But when we value people, we should be emotionally connected to them. When, uh, we, should, we should hurt when they hurt. Not just say passively, you know, just, you know, don't say you love them, but really love them, right? Not just say, oh, brother, I'm so sorry. But genuinely, you've taken the time to elevate them, put yourself in their place, think about what they're going through, and you truly care. i got to tell you, there's some risk in that. Why? Because once you do that, it's going to compel you to do some of the other things I talk about in today's message. You may be afraid to do that because of what it compels you to do, but I can tell you that's the path that Jesus is on. If you'll follow it, it'll take you to great things. Romans chapter 12 and verse 5 says, So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we belong to each other. <laughs> now, i am got to tell you, the Holy Spirit didn't mince words when he said that. He said, we belong, right? So how many realize my hand belongs to my body, my hand, right? If my hand was hurting, I couldn't get away from it if I tried. My other hand may grab it. I might, if it burned, I blow on it, right? I'd do anything I can to get it better. And that's what that verse says, is we should be so emotionally connected to each other that we see them as an extension of who we are, not someone else, right? But we see them as an extension of, they're my right arm. They're my eye. Do I see people that way? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 20 says, But now indeed there are many members of one body, and yet the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the hand to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker and necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, and on those we bestow greater honor. Right? We take care of each other. That's what that talks about. And so today I want to talk about a few more symptoms of being connected and valuing others. Number one, when you value others, when called upon, we seek to meet the need of others in the best possible way. When you are connected to someone and you value them, you will be a part, you'll try to be a part of the solution in their lives that they need. Acts chapter four and verse thirty-two, we see this visibly and tangibly uh, in the early church. It says in verse thirty-two, and all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that they were that they owned was not their own. They felt what they owned was not their own. Boy, I got to tell you, we may all have a long way to go there. That's my car. It's my house. It's my time. It's my money. But it says, all these believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them. That's pretty radical. I don't know about you, i got a long way to go. Can I just be honest with you? I ain't willing to sell my house for you. Y'all pray for your pastor, cause I gotta grow. I, yeah, and, and honestly, this is where they were at. I ain't there right now. Are you there? But we need to be. We need to challenge ourselves. Maybe not sell. And you know, God ain't always tell you to sell your house. I ain't talking. You know, don't get crazy, right? But he may tell you to sacrifice a meal or two. He may tell you to turn a TV off and pray for somebody, right? See, it says there, they shared everything they had. There was no needy people among them because what they, those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to all the apostles to give to those in need. And so when you, when you love some people, people and you value them, they're so important to you that you're going to rush in any way you can to meet a need, right? Now, there are two ways God calls us to meet needs. I want to break this down a little bit so nobody runs out of here and sells their house unnecessarily, right? Right? The first way we meet needs is by addressing the need head on. And we see this here in the book of Acts, right? There was a need, a definitive need, and the whole church rallied together. And they said, you know what? We got all these needs here. We got to meet these needs. So they all agreed. We're going to sell houses. We're going to do different things, right? And so they physically went out and met the needs. In some cases, though, it may not be monetarily meeting a need. It could also be just giving what you got. Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb. So he was crippled his whole life. We can blow by that, but how many of you realize that was a real valuable person that people walk by every day, right? A certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried... Whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asking alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes. Notice he fastened his eyes. He didn't just see him, he saw him. He took the time to esteem the man. Fastening his eyes upon him with John, he said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. Well, that's a real good faith confession, Peter. Shouldn't you be saying I got all? He was just stating, you know, where he was at. I don't have any money on me right now. You ever seen somebody in need and you don't have the finances to help them? But you always got something. He said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I hope you always have something. The Bible says always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. I mean, if you're running around living for the devil and not thinking about Jesus, you may have nothing to give. But Peter and John, that's different. It says, Peter and John, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And so in this instance, we see Peter didn't physically meet the need, but spiritually he met the need by using the authority that God gave him to bring healing into that man's life. And so in some cases, you know, how many realize we have that authority today as believers? See, some people think, well, that was just Peter, that was just John. But Jesus told us as believers, we've been given the name of Jesus. We've been given the authority of the believer. And when people open their heart to us and are willing to receive, we can use the name of Jesus and deliver healing, help, and deliverance to them. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 7, Jesus said, As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And notice what he told us to do. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely you give. I want you, to understand, I want you to understand something this morning. You as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ have the capacity because of the Holy Spirit living in you to fulfill that verse. That ain't reserved for just a few televangelists that might or might not be real, right? Might be taking you for a ride, maybe not taking you for a ride, right? I don't, I'm not going to judge people. But the reality is, you, that was not intended just for some televangelists. It was intended for you as a believer. You have the ability when someone is distraught and being tormented by demons to tell the devil to take his hands off of them in the name of Jesus, and there you have to go. You have the right to lay your hands on people who are sick and hurting and say, be healed in the name of Jesus and trust God for healing to come into their life. You have the ability to tell people silver and gold have I none and you may not be at the place to to feel comfortable praying for those that are sick but at least you can tell them silver and gold have I none but you know what? I've leaned on Jesus before and he's helped me. He's helped me. Just give what you got. Right? Right? And so sometimes we meet needs by directly addressing the need, but then there are other times we meet needs by not so much directly addressing the need, but maybe addressing the underlying problem that's causing the need. How I many of you realize that you've got somebody that won't work, that's lazy, they have no money, and you just keep on giving them money, you ain't helping them at all. You're propagating the problem. See, sometimes when people are going through difficult times, it ain't just flipping a dollar bill at them or just throwing a track at them. Sometimes it's taking the time to get to understand their situation so you can speak truth into their life that will really change the situation for them. You know, I can tell you as a church, we've adopted this. We used to get calls all the time asking people, asking for money, asking for money, asking for money, asking for money. Well, you're a church, didn't you give them money? First of all, as the pastor and the good steward of the money that you give, no, I ain't giving them money if I don't know them. I'm not, unless the Holy Spirit tells me to. But I do this. Hey, if you're in a position of need, let us talk with you and understand what's going on so that we can give you some financial counseling, get you in a good spot in your life. And, so that, and you know, typically they don't want to hear that. Because people want a Band-Aid. They don't want a, he- a healing. But notice, sometimes what we have to do in our lives is we have to dress people with by speaking the truth. Everybody say, speak the truth in love. Now, I'm going to read to you a long portion of Scripture from the Message Translation, which is a transliteration. It's not an exact, tra- you know, it's not an exact translation word for word like some of, the, some of the other ones out there, but it gives you a good picture, and it's pretty much in your face. So I, want you, I just want you to understand, Paul at times did not tell people to dig in your pocket and help somebody. Sometimes he told them to speak the truth to them. Notice what it says here. Our orders, backed by the Master Jesus are to refuse to have anything to do with those among you who are lazy and refuse to work the way that we taught you. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Don't permit them to freeload on the rest. We showed you how to pull your weight when when we were with you, so get on with it. We didn't sit around on our hands expecting others to take care of us. In fact, we worked our fingers to the bone up half the night moonlighting so you wouldn't be burdened with taking care of us. And it wasn't because we didn't have a right to your support, we did. We simply wanted to provide an example of diligence, hoping it would prove contagious. Don't you remember the rule we had when we lived with you? If you don't work, you don't eat. Now that's not talking about people that are struggling with physical ailments or truly handicapped and they can't work. You understand that, right? And now we're getting reports that a bunch of lazy good-for-nothings are taking advantage of you. This must not be tolerated. We command them to get to work immediately. No excuses, no arguments, and earn their own keep. Friends, don't slack off in doing your duty. How many realize hard work's a good thing? Amen. If anyone refuses to obey our clear command written in this letter, don't let him get by with it. Ooh. <laughs> Point out such a person and refuse to subsidize his freeloading. <laughs> Maybe then he'll think twice, but don't treat him as an enemy. There it is again, valuing people, right? Set him down and talk with him. Talk about the problem as someone who cares. So what's the point of this whole thing? The point is, if you care about people, you will always want to meet their needs, but to meet their needs, there are sometimes different ways the Holy Spirit will lead you to do it. Sometimes it's physically meeting the needs. Sometimes it's using your authority to pray for some. But sometimes it's setting down and getting to know them to understand what's the underlying root cause of this problem so that I can speak truth in their life if they're willing to hear it, right? So that I can really help them. You know, that's why we created back in the fall, you know, we sort of revived our discipleship program and we have people that are committed to walk people through the first initial steps of being a believer. Why? So that we can invest in them and speak truth into them and allow them to establish principles that will help them grow to be the person God has called them to be. And so what what that verse points out is God doesn't expect us to be a continual uh, supply to a problem that a person has but he does expect us to be a source of truth and help in people's lives. Ephesians 4 and verse 15 says, Instead, by speaking the truth in a spirit of love, we must grow up in every way to Christ who is the head. So what that says is when we speak the truth in love, it has the capacity to help us grow. Now, a couple things to note about speaking the truth in love, because as soon as you bring this up, I just always like to share this in in light of that. Speaking the truth in love, number one, doesn't give you a license to be a critique of everybody's life. See, a lot of people think they've been called to just tell everybody they're wrong. God hasn't called you to tell people they're wrong. You say, what, doesn't the scripture say it's there for destruction and reproof and correction? Yeah, in your life. Get the beam out of your own eye first, right? Right? See, so first thing you need to know about speaking the truth in love is the Bible says to work out your own salvation. That means keep your head down. When you notice somebody, you know, how many of you realize sometimes you're in a conversation with somebody and they may say something that doesn't align with Scripture? It ain't your job to correct them. It's not. Why? Because they didn't ask for your advice. And I've always said this, the worst advice you can give is the advice that is not asked for. Right? <laughs> Mark chapter 6 and verse 7, verse 6 says, don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. What's that mean? What that means is this. God has given you a lot of wisdom in your personal relationship with him. He's given you understanding of scripture, perspective of scripture. And you know what? That's your personal truth that he's given you aligned with the word. But what that says is don't take it and just throw it out there to other people. Why? Because you'll have the capacity to offend them, number one, because they didn't ask for your opinion. You you know, people think Jesus just stood in his bully pulpit and pointed the finger at the Pharisees and ridiculed them and called them snake faces and all that stuff because we see it in Scripture, right? But you, you notice that Jesus, the only time he ever addressed the Pharisees was when they came to him asking him what he thought. Unsolicited advice is advice that shouldn't be given. Now, does that mean we shouldn't stand in the pulpits and preach the truth and the word of God? Absolutely. As a pastor, I'm called to correct, to reprove, and all those things. But even in that regard, I have to be very careful to not just ridicule people. I have to be very careful to do it in a spirit of love to equip you, right? Not to refute you or to cast you down, but to do it in a spirit of love. But the bottom line in all of this is is that if we esteem people and we love them, we will value them enough to speak the truth when it's time to speak the truth and they're willing to hear it from us or we'll meet the need when there's. A need to be met, and the Spirit of God leads us to do it. We value and esteem others. First Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13 says, For we are all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt. What does that mean? That means we esteem people so much when they're hurting, we want to meet the need. There's a willingness first that says, I want to help them. Right? And if I can't help them, and if, I, can't, if I don't have an open door to speak the truth to them, then what am I going to do? I'm going to pray for them. Everybody say, pray for them. Here's, something, here's a rule of thumb I would give you to really help you. The next time you want to criticize somebody, ask yourself the question first. Have I prayed about that situation? About them? You'll shut your mouth real quick. Hit your knees when you see something. You if you see something needs to be fixed, don't go gossiping it around the world. Get on your knees and pray for them. Amen, amen. As a as a, a musicians come, I want to close by talking about one last value, real quickly. Not only will you meet a need, but when you value something, you will protect it. When you value something, you'll protect it. Now, we were blessed to just get my daughter a, a new car. She had been without one for a year because she'd been a freshman in college. And uh, we were blessed. God just really worked it out so we could get her a, a car, not a brand new car, but a car to drive. I won't buy a new car. <laughs> I buy used ones. But, but we got her a nice car, and we were blessed to do that. But i got to tell you something. Um, one of the first conversations I had with her about it was, you need to protect that car. If you wreck it, it gets parked. Right. Why? Because I value that car. I spent good money on that car and I'm spending good money on that car. Right. So the reality is you protect what you value. And so what that means is, as a church, when we value others and we protect each other, that means we have each other's back. Look at your neighbor and say, I got your back. We're a family and we don't run from each other. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. What does that mean? That means that when we see people around us, and they may not be all that we think they should be. They may do something that offends us. doesn't means we don't throw them out in the rain. We bring them in from it. How do we do that? By praying for them first esteeming them, lifting them up, showing them that we value them, showing them that we care so there is open opportunity maybe to speak into their life at some point. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 2, it says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be encouragement to those who hear them. I've often said this about Grace Family Church. Everybody is welcome here unless you're a backbiter and a gossip. If you're a backbiter and gossip, the, the exit door swings both ways and you can leave. Why? Because we are a group of people that protect each other. We don't talk about that about each other. We don't don't spread everybody's faults to. Oh, you won't believe what so and so. We don't do that. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. We pray for them. We care for them. We care for people here. You know, as a church, we need to be a place where, where the world feels like I got a soft place I can land. I can come in here and talk about my faults and my failures and I'm not gonna be gossiped about and hung out to dry. Galatians chapter 6 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. When we value others, we protect them. We care about them. We pray for them. I believe God's challenging us. You know, we've already talked about loving him with all of our hearts, but I believe God is calling us to a higher level of valuing people. Every time we show up at church, do we take the time? I mean, I tell you, make it a practice. Before you get out of your car, just stop, take a deep breath, and say, help me see people, Lord. Help me see them. Help me really see them. You know, that's the you may be the one moment this person has that week for someone to smile at them and show them that they matter and that they care and that they're important. They may be hanging by a thread because of what they're going what they're going through in their life. And sometimes people are just prideful, not in a bad way, they're just private with their lives, and they don't want to share it. But just your kindness, you're seeing them, you're loving them, you're showing them they're important, that matters. And we want to be a church. I believe God's calling us to be a church. That That's a keynote of who we are. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, last verse. It says, You also are living stones. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. I want to just stop right there before we close. Notice it says we're living stones. You know, I think sometimes the concept has been, has taken root in many people in in the world and many people even in the church that their relationship with Jesus, that's personal. That's my personal relationship. That's none of your business. And certainly you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But what this verse of scripture says is that you are a spiritual stone that's a part of a house. You're a living stone that's a part of a house. I mean, that's foundational truth for our lives as believers. People that say, well, it's just my personal relationship. They don't get it, right? Because part of your growth and part of your maturity and part of your recognizing and becoming all that God has called you to be is for you to be a connected part of the whole. You running around just having a personal relationship, you're missing it. Living stones connected together. A building, when they come together, there's mortar. It it connects them. We are to be connected to each other. That's why we put up the meet friends. It's not just a cutesy little thing we did to put up a meet friends board. So That's why we're encouraging you. If you've got something you like doing, ask people to do it. But I want to, it's just me. I'm guilty of that. You know how hard it was for me to put up on that sign? Hey, come hiking with Pastor Tommy. You want to know why? Because I like my Thoreau moment in the woods when nobody's around. But who's to say I can't take one of those and share it with you guys and get to know you and love you and care about you? Right? All of us. I mean, that board's getting full, but it should be full. We should have a hard time finding a place saying, Hey, I, I want a fellowship. I want somebody to do this with me. You know, like shoot guns? Go find people to shoot guns with you but make it believers. Why does it have to be the guy that likes to drink the beer and cuss and not love Jesus, right? Interconnected, we are living stones and we need to be connected. We need to value each other as an extension of ourselves, somebody I'm emotionally connected to. I gotta tell you, I said it two weeks ago, I am growing as a pastor because of these messages. I have made it a point to see you more And I have seen you in the past. We all need to follow that example. We all need to see each other. We all need to love each other. We all need to care for each other. That needs to be the DNA of who we are as a church. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much that all that you're calling us to is simply an example of how much you love us. You're head over heels in love with us. Always thinking about us, we are always on your mind. You value us and esteem us so much that you sent Christ to die for us. Help us exemplify your character, help us exemplify your love and esteeming and caring for others. Let us truly, as a group of believers, let that value be those values be our DNA. Thanks for listening to our Grace Family Church podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this message. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, we would love for you to get connected. Just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are, how to give to this ministry, or how you can get involved. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.